qui potens est omnia facere superabundanter, quam petimus aut intelligemus. He who is able to accomplish all things in a measure far beyond what we ask or conceive. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Dear Canon, very dear faithful, the epistle of today's Mass, written by St. Paul during his captivity in Rome, has all the characteristics of an encyclical written to the Church Universal. In the years before his death, Emperor Nero unleashed a violent persecution of Christians in the empire. Both Saints Peter and Paul were martyred at this time, along with thousands of fellow Christians. We see in this the most solemn of his epistles, the responsibility that St. Paul has for the unity of the mystical body of Christ. What does he have to say to them in his last days and through them to us? Knowing of his impending death and the worry of all the Christian churches for him, St. Paul writes to reassure them. He reminds them and through them all of us in these difficult times that the suffering of any one of us for the one true faith redounds to the glory of our Lord and of all the members of the mystical body of Christ. St. Paul tells us the source as well as the secret of his strength when he mentions that he bends his knee to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. His secret is humility. By humility, the apostle to the Gentiles wins graces from God the Father in heaven that help sustain him in times of tribulations. Graces are the glorious riches that God the Father gives us every day. In his epistle to the Romans, St. Paul wrote, where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. Nothing could be more apt for us today. The scandalous news about no less than the highest prelates of the church has made more than one of us justly angry and even discouraged. Yet let us not forget that the church is both human and divine. She was founded by our Lord Jesus Christ on the cross at Calvin. At that time, St. Paul wrote his epistle. No right-thinking Christian thought well of the city of Rome. It was quite simply a sinful place, probably very similar in its perversions to the world today. For this reason, he wrote this epistle to the Ephesians to remind them of the help promised from above to those who ask for it humbly. Just like the apostle to the Gentiles, if we bend our knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, he will grant to us from his glorious riches to be strengthened with power through his Spirit. He goes on to specify that as a result of these graces from heaven, we will have Christ dwelling in our hearts by faith. These graces that God is ever ready to give us 
is a participation in the life of God himself. The greatest of them is precisely the indwelling of the persons of the Trinity in our soul, the presence of God himself in our intimate nature. Though the graces that God willingly gives us are of various types, in the collect of today's Mass, we speak of two of them, prevenient graces and subsequent graces. Both of these graces are called actual graces, since they help us to do a good act immediately. Both of them are supernatural influences on our faculties that precedes an act in the case of prevenient graces or antecedent graces, or accompanies and supports the deliberate act in the case of subsequent graces. When God gives us an antecedent or prevenient grace, he acts alone in us and without us. These graces produce in us a spontaneous act of knowledge and will, or what we can call an aha moment, when we suddenly realize or do something important for our salvation. The best example of this grace is the grace of our conversion either from lukewarm to fervent Catholics or from another religion to the Catholic faith. God gives us these graces purely out of his love for us. We do not receive them from him because of anything we have done that is meritorious on our part. However, when God gives us subsequent graces, he works in us and with us so that the act that we do is done conjointly with God. St. Augustine, who is also called the doctor of grace, explains it thus. God works in man many good things to which man does not contribute. But man does not work any good thing apart from God, since it is from God that man receives the power to do the good things that he does. The Lord prepares the will and perfects by his cooperation that which he begins by his working. For the same God works in the beginning so that we may will to do good. He willingly cooperates with the willing one and perfects him in order that, he may, that we may do good. He works without us. But if we will to do good, and so will that in fact we actually do it, he works with us. But without him who so works that we may will to do good and cooperates with us when we will, we can do nothing in regard to the good works of piety. Dear faithful, today's gospel is nothing more than a reiteration of the lessons in the episode. Paraphrasing St. Augustine, God always gives us his graces, first without us, so that we will want to do good. And once he has strengthened us so much that we actually do the good, he works with us. We are like the ox that is helped out of the pit of our sins into which we have fallen. He is always willing to help us out. 
Therefore, after we pray to him and ask him for graces for our daily lives, we must take the next step in faith and act as if he is helping us, because he is, even if he still experiences our weaknesses. Then he will work with us. Then our crosses will become easy to carry, and we will be able to do so joyfully. Seeing that the Pharisees were silent, our Lord told them the parable of the wedding feast to teach us the same point of which St. Paul spoke in today's episode. In order to win graces from heaven, we must ask God for them humbly. When we cooperate with his graces, God will take us higher to that perfect union with him. The secret is a constant attitude and exercise of humility that will secure for us a prominent place in the divine feast of the nuptials. All saints are ambitious for the future glory of this best kind, but they are well aware that in order to win it, they must go low down during this present life into their own nothingness. To go higher in the world to come, they go lower in this present world. Until the great day dawns when each one is to receive according to his works, we shall lose nothing by putting ourselves below everybody. The position reserved for us in the kingdom of heaven depends not in the least either upon our own thoughts about ourselves or upon the judgment passed on us by other people. It depends solely on the will of God, who exalts the humble and brings down the mighty from their thrones. The surest test of our humility before God is that practical charity for our neighbor, by which, in the several, in the several circumstances of everyday life, we give him precedence over ourselves without affectation. The lack of this fraternal charity, the presence of contempt for our neighbor, is proof enough that our humility is false. This contempt may be dormant, perhaps most of the time, but on occasion, and this can happen frequently, it can influence our thoughts, words, and actions. Like our ancestors in the faith, let us remember the words of the collect that we prayed earlier in this Mass. May your grace, we beseech you, O Lord, ever go before us and follow us, and, make, and may it make us ever intent upon good works. Let us not fail to turn to Our Lady, who will surely come to our aid to teach us how to respond to the inspirations of her spouse, the Holy Spirit. Let us also seek the help of St. Joseph, master of the interior life, who can teach us to be vigilant over these hidden dangers always lurking in our soul. O Mary, Mother of Divine Grace, pray for us. O St. Joseph, Mirror of Patience, pray for us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, 
and of the Holy Ghost. Amen.